Have you ever been around people that had so much hardship in their life, but you see that their faith was not shaken? Have you ever seen someone that they've gone through so much hardships and trials, and either in their personal life, because of their health, whatever the case might be, but you hardly see them be shaken in faith? You see them rooted into something so much bigger than themselves. I, I, I have seen that. I've been inspired by those people. I hope you have come across those people. But you begin to ask yourself the question, you know, what about them makes them so solid in their faith with all the hardships that they're going through? And I start thinking, if I were in their shoes, I don't know how much I can handle one hit after another. I don't know how much I can take it myself. And I'm inspired by them being so rooted in their faith and holding on to something so much, and not something, but someone stronger than themselves that gives them so much strength. And it really inspires me. Hence, we are beginning, not a three-part series, a six-part series, titled The Author of Life. And the subtitle on the top is Steps to Building and Strengthening Trust Even When Running on Empty. You and I have experienced times where we're just like, I don't know how much I can hold longer. I, I've, I've, I'm exhausted. I don't know. I, I start questioning everything. I don't know who I can put my trust in. I don't know how much of my faith can really handle this. We've seen somebody, maybe we've gone through that ourselves. We've all experienced that. But something that I love this phrase, and I'll kind of explain why I, I chose this phrase, the author of life. There's something so inviting and something so appealing to calling a deity the author of life. The author of life. We agree that there is an author of life. Regardless of your worldview, we can all agree that there is an author of life. There is a founder. There is a designer. There is an author to life. And we want to strengthen our trust in who he is. But let's face it. Life gets us down sometimes. And we're running on empty. And we want to push. We want to go, as this graphic kind of shows. But we have no more energy left to keep on going. This is what this is all about. Believe it or not, there's only two things that amazed Jesus. Only two things amazed Jesus. Like, this is fascinating. If you look at the records of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are, there's only, in, in all of those writings, there is only two instances where we see Jesus being amazed. Well, the biblical term would be marveled. There's only a couple times where we see Jesus being marveled or amazed by something. And that's what I would love to talk about today. There was this Roman politician in the time of Jesus. Actually, he was titled a centurion, which is like a top dog uh, soldier guy. And, you know, he had one of his servants, their kid uh, was very sick, was very ill. And, you know, obviously he, he's, he's, a, he's a pagan. He's, he's, not, he's not a follower of Jesus, but he's curious of Jesus. And he's curious of Jesus. So he comes to Jesus, not being all in just yet, but he's curious of who Jesus is and what he stands for and what is he all about. And he wants to put his trust in Jesus. He wants to take that step toward Jesus. And the centurion kind of opens up with Jesus in this conversation. He says this to Jesus. For I, th uh, me, a centurion, this, this politician, this Roman, uh, this, th I, I hold a, a high position. I, myself, I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I tell somebody, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. He's, he's basically telling Jesus, like, I, 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 like I, I have some authority. I have some influence around here. But there's something about you 
that's so appealing, so interesting. I don't know what it is yet, but I know that you are bigger than yourself. I know that you belong, you come from a higher calling. You're not just some rabbi, you're not just some influential person, but you, you, you belong to something bigger. I don't know yet, I don't know the terms, I, I, I don't know the theology yet, but there's something about you that seems so appealing. And I want to take my trust, and I want to lean my trust toward you. I want to take that step closer to you. And this centurion understands that Jesus is not limited by the dimensions of time or space or matter. He sees something about Jesus that he's not limited by any of these elements. And that makes him so appealing. So this centurion asks for healing. He asks for, for Jesus to heal this person. When Jesus heard this, when he heard the, 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 the call of this centurion for him to heal, Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Maybe this is a, like a, a stab that, that, that Jesus is doing to his disciples around him, saying, I haven't found anyone with such great faith. Who knows? We don't know his body language or even the context of, what, of how he's saying this. But for Jesus to call someone who is not all into Christianity yet, not all into following Jesus, but to tell him, I have not found anyone in all this land who has such great faith. Here is this man wanting to go all into following Jesus. There was two things this man went all into. He trusted who Jesus was, and then from this point, he went all in. He put all his faith, and he put all his trust into following Jesus. Your fun fact for the day. Jesus never marveled. He was never surprised by anyone's knowledge or even their obedience. Jesus was never surprised by how much somebody knew, how many laws that they memorized from the, from the Old Testament. He, never, he was never amazed by that. He was never surprised by that. He was never surprised by someone's obedience. But the only time that we see, at least that we're aware of, in these four records of Jesus' life, the only time where we see the emotion of him being surprised or marveled is when, is when he saw faith. Jesus' popularity began to spread. Jesus' his name began to become very popular around, around town. And as he's spreading around, people are getting a little more curious. Some people are like a little bit hesitant. Some people are wanting to go all into following Jesus. There are different, different emotions, different feedback. Different people are responding to Jesus in different ways. So he goes to his hometown. And, and some people around him started saying, wait, wait, isn't this... Isn't just the, Jesus the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they, and they took offense at him. Like they saw Jesus doing these supernatural events. And they started to ask themselves, wait, isn't this Joseph's kid who was helping him and doing the carpentry stuff? Isn't this Mary's son? Like, isn't, it just, isn't this just Jesus of Nazareth? And they began to like... They, they were unable to process and grasp that this is the God-man. To the point, they were being skeptics of who Jesus was. What was Jesus' response while they were being questioning Jesus? He was amazed. But opposite of the centurion. Because of their lack of faith. The two things that amazed Jesus from the first century to the 21st century, the two things that amazed Jesus was people's great faith 
and their lack of faith. This is the thing that surprised Jesus. This is what made him marvel. Not necessarily uh, their knowledge or their obedience. It was their faith. A lot of this is you already familiar with all this, but let me tell you something else that you already know. When you trust something, it's always an object. Like, for example, if I go on a plane, I put my trust in the mechanical integrity of the plane. Like, I trust that I will get from point A to point B because I put my trust in the, the, the pilot and in the metal and the nails and the bolts and the whole bit. I put my trust in that item. If I don't put my trust in something like an object, something that's tangible, then I'm just very optimistic. I, say, I trust that I'll get there. That's just optimism. That's just hope. That's, like, I, I, you can't grasp that. I'm optimistic that I'll get to my destination, that you can't really hold on to that. I'm hopeful I'll get to my destination. You can't hold on to that. But to trust, trust that you'll get from point A to point B, you're putting your trust in the airplane, in the industry, in the pilot, in the, in the metal. You're putting your trust in the object. This is trust. I want you to make a big difference between trust and then just hope and optimism. There's a big difference. Faith. If we kind of transfer that sense, faith being synonymous with trust, object being synonymous with tangible, faith is tangible. Like this is something critical for us to understand as Orthodox Christians. Faith is not just, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. it's it's, It's not intangible. You can hold on to it. In other words, it's incarnational. Even the word incarnational means something has become meaty has become fleshy. So God becoming meaty, becoming tangible, our faith, our trust is not into hope. Our faith and trust is not into optimism. Our faith and our trust is in a person, the God-man. In other words, the author of life is where our trust belongs. This was so hard for Jesus to drill this message to his early followers because we, we get it. We, we love hope. We love optimism. We love, we love to hold on to that. But to, for them to make it clear that they need to put their trust and faith in him, this is the message that he was really driving home. Saying He, he would even tell, this, th- he would tell them this on Thursday night, the last night that he was with his disciples before his crucifixion. As they were celebrating the Passover, he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't you believe in Yahweh? Don't you believe in God? Okay then believe also in me. What's so unique, especially if you look at the Greek of, how Jesus, of what Jesus is saying, if I say that I believe that the weather is nice, I believe that tomorrow will be a great day, I believe whatever, there's a certain Greek term. But this is the first time in Greek literature where we see it being said that you, you believe in me. This is the first time for this to be used, to, to put your trust in the person of God. Like to say believe in or trust in, this is the first time that we see this in Greek literature. This is so foreign, this is so radical, that for us to put our trust and put our faith not into hope and optimism, but in the author of life. In other words, the God-man, the God-man came to reveal man who God is. Let's say that one more time. The God-man, Jesus, the God-man, came to reveal man who God is. The God-man made himself clear, tangible, crystal clear, made, made him applicable to our lives, that we understand the author of life through Jesus in order for man to see who the divine is. I've mentioned this before, but when you ask people, 
coworkers, or maybe people that, all of us, as we grow in our faith, describe God to me. You would hear a wide array of different answers. But the best thing about the Christian worldview, we don't have to guess who God is. We don't have to, like, uh, we don't have to paint our own picture. We can look at the God-man himself for us to know who God is. As you and I grow and lean toward the author of life, regardless of where you are in your journey, if you're, if you're a skeptic, you're hesitant, maybe you're one foot in, you're all feet in, it doesn't matter. Regardless of where you are in our spiritual journey, we have to ask ourselves the question, especially when we look at the life of Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, what do I learn about the author of life when I look at the Gospels? What do I learn about the author of life when I look at the life of Jesus? What can I learn from the God-man, the author of life, when I see his events, his records, his dialogue, how he, how he manages conflict? What can I learn about the author of life when I look at Jesus? Just to show how radical the ideology of Jesus was in that time in, in history, Jesus made this very clear to his followers. Jewish people, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard that before. But I tell you, you've heard that love your enemy, right? Perfect. You, you understand this ethic. But I tell you, he elevates it, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you think that God is only going to reward those who follow, like, that, are, that are this type of people and, and punish these types of people, if you think that God has this dichotomy to him, doesn't the sun rise on everyone? But it's our response. How do we respond to the author of life? God's light, God's love is on all of us. That's a constant. The variable is how do we want to respond to that? Jesus makes it clear to them. Okay, you've heard the ethic, you know, you do something nice to somebody, do something nice to them, vice versa. You get that. That's the ethic of reciprocity. You get that. But I tell you, don't settle for that. I'm coming to, to, to add an exclamation point to that ideology. I'm elevating you to a higher calling. I'm elevating you to the author of life himself. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He shows no difference. His light, his, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But it's up to us. How do we respond to the author of life? For those who are familiar with St. Paul, a great missionary, but he was, uh, I don't say uh, prideful, but he had no, uh, he had no self-esteem issues. Like, he understood that he, he had a mission, that he understood he had great confidence in who he is, and he was a type A personality. And as he's preaching, telling people about Jesus all throughout the Mediterranean Rim, like, he understood that, like, all of pagan uh, rituals and religion and even Judaism is in the shadow of the, the fullness of spirituality, which is in the God-man, in the author of life incarnate, which is in Jesus. Like, he understood all of that is pointing. Like, even for now, even for us, all spirituality that we might hear of different derivatives of, like, live a good life and be nice to those who, are, who you know, who hate, so forth and so on, all of that is pointing to the person of God. And Jesus, even, I mean, St. Paul even put it this way, beautifully said it this way. 
these, all pagan religions, all, all Judaism, all of these, all these generic spiritualities, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. That reality, that divine reality, however, is found in the person of God, Christ. Maybe some of us are living in the shadow. We create our own version of God. We, we create our own version of good. We create our own version of what to hold on to to be hopeful, to be optimistic. We, we create our own circumstances of how I should be hopeful or how I should be. We, we create our own. We basically create our own spirituality, a derivative of the organic version of Christianity. We create our own version. But all of that, including ourselves, might be in the shadow of the reality of God. You see this. I definitely see people lose faith. But they lose faith because it was built on the wrong foundation. I see people walk away from faith because they think it's built on circumstances. I've seen people walk away from faith because they, they think it's built on hope or optimism. But faith, my friends, is built on something so much stronger. The author of life himself. I've seen people walk away from faith because it's built on circumstances. But it's hard to lose faith in who the person of Jesus is. It's hard to lose faith. And I would love to talk to you if you can, you know, I, I, entertain me with that conversation. I feel it's hard to walk away from faith and trust in who the God-man is. If we look at who he is and how he reveals himself to us and what was written about him, how he invites us to him, it's hard to walk away from putting your trust in him. You and I want faith and trust in the author of life. Regardless of what that might look like, maybe you wouldn't use those terms, but you and I want an enduring faith that's not shaken by circumstances and hardships that come and go in our lives until our last breath. That's a guarantee. But you and I want an enduring faith. For the next five Sundays, I know it's long, we're going to look at five components, catalysts, exercises spiritually that can strengthen us to have an enduring faith. Like this is very personal to me. Because so many people are not built on that foundation of what faith should look like. And then when a hardship comes, everything shatters. Everything shatters. Their, their marriage shatters. Their household shatters because they realize their faith was not built on something stronger. If we want ourselves, if we want our kids to have an enduring faith, then it requires us to make sure that we have a clear view of what trust is. In other words, or who trust is, and who do we put our faith in? And we'll look at these five elements for us to build an enduring faith and pursue the author of life together. Sound like a plan? Everyone ready for five weeks? Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us are pulled and pushed on different sides from different things that we might be going through personally 
or in our, or our house, in our homes, in our families, at work, whatever the case might be, we're pulled. And even from our own personal struggles, we're pulled in different directions. But Lord, there's something inviting for us to call you the author of life. You are the author of our personal lives. You are the author of things that are seen and unseen. But Lord, we come to you with our weakness, with us being limited, desiring to pursue you, yearning for you, desiring to build an enduring faith that nothing will shake us, that we can be solid in you. Lord, regardless of where we might be in our faith, that I pray that from, from this week and for the five remaining weeks, that where we are now in our faith and our questions, our hesitation, our fear, our hesitation, that, Lord, we can take that next step to build that enduring faith in which the apostles had that transcends any circumstance, that transcends just optimism and hope, but it's built on the foundation of you. Through the prayers of the apostles, Lord, hear us as we all pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week for part two.